You know, I once rode on a bus to camp sitting next to a guy like you. We're not gonna be bunk mates, Grant. I'll make them build another floor if I have to. I'm not going to let you spoil the moment. My moment. See you in the funny papers. Welcome to the end of Mad Men on the Idle Thumbs Podcast Network. I'm Sean Vanneman. I'm Chris Remo. And I'm Jake Rodkin. This is the anti-penultimate episode of the season, of the series. Is that correct, Jake? Did yeah, I say that anti-penultimate right? is correct. Right. So episode what, there, 12? There are, yeah, it's the third to last one. It's, uh, yeah, 12th episode of season seven. Yes, Lost Horizon, directed by Phil Abraham and written by Matthew Weiner and Simi Shellis. I think is how you say you had, you had a you had a semi-shellus fact i'll get to it i'm gonna hold it i'm okay. holding it first what do you think happened this week on Mad Men officially oh man oh this is my <laughs> favorite game you know what i like this is my favorite game because it's a game that i forget that i have to play and then i'm put on the spot and with a microphone in front of me don looks for someone <laughs> that could be every single episode. <laughs> Don looks for something. Don, yeah. Don looks for something. Don is missing something. Peggy, Peggy has trouble at work. Peggy has <laughs> trouble getting an office at work. Yeah, at getting an office. That's way Ro- too specific. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. I think this. Week Roger I- plays the organ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if that's the only time they ever specifically call something out? We see Roger's organ. <laughs> So this week on Mad Men, Don is looking for something. Peggy has trouble at work, and we see Roger's organ. That's all. That's the official end of Mad Men. Here's here's what actually. Here's the actual description of Lost Horizon. Don receives a reward for his work. Joan butts heads with a coworker on an account. Faced with a big decision, Roger dodges. Roger Dodger. They got a little cute. Yeah, a little cute there at the end. This one's interesting because Joan butts head with her coworker on an account is. More specific than these usually get. Right. On the other hand, Don receives a reward for his work is meaningless in the context of what this episode actually right. is. Right. Because he, yeah, absolutely. Don, Don is not ending this episode net positive anything. Not well, a lot of people are ending this episode net positive anything. That's true. Maybe Peggy. Except Peggy. Ki- yeah, kind of. Oh. I mean, Peggy takes charge is, Peggy. The re- is the working title of this episode. But like, this episode ends with Peggy. <laughs> Peggy, like rolling Peggy in, like in. A, like a, yeah. Peggy checks in. She just rolls in like a total boss and like literally turns heads down that hallway. But that was just her choice for how she's going to make an entrance after getting dicked over for days. Yeah, but I think that's huge for her as a character because it's not something that Peggy from previous seasons would have done. It just this is also the first time she gets to start as what she like. She's always she's right, just sort of is, bounced around the sort of like descendants of Sterling Cooper for years, but now she gets no, day one. That's totally true. Everyone else comes in to McCann trying to bring their existing identity in and it completely fails. Whereas mm-hmm. Peggy gets She's, rebuffed initially, then is like, no, this is when I make my identity now. Like yeah. this is this is an yep. opportunity and yep. no one else rolls did in that. with wayfarers and a painting of an octopus pleasuring a woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that octopus painting when Sterling gives it. her that Just, what it was in Bert's office the whole time. Like, yeah. that was so good. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. That weird thing's been in this show for years. So something I was going to, I'm going to go ahead and go to the, the writer here. Um, so uh, Semi Shalis, who wrote this episode with Matthew Weiner, wrote um, two episodes on season five. And I found it interesting that this was like a really landmark um, Peggy episode in that she was the writer of the Emmy award winning episode 
where Don says goodbye to Peggy and like kisses her hand and things oh, like that, which was a huge, like that was like a huge mm-hmm. episode of that season. Um, I find that really fascinating how certain writers seem to have like, yeah, uh, a relationship with certain characters arcs in mm-hmm. the, in the story. And I, yeah. she hasn't written an episode since then. So she came back for this one. Huh? That's yeah. cool. Pretty I mean, amazing. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I mean, that's, it's not the same thing, but it was interesting similarly to observe the thematic parallels between the episode directed by the guy whose name I can't recall who plays, who plays Lane, Lane Price. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm an his, idiot. Like, she, she directed episodes. I mean, she, I'm sorry. I just cut you off, but she did. That's fine. She's written other episodes yeah. that since then she wrote, she um, never wrote an episode again. She wrote the strategy, which I think was another pe- big Peggy episode actually. Cool. Independently. So, so what did you guys think about this episode? <laughs> I, I mean, I, there's so many things I loved about it. Yeah. And then there was a lot of stuff, not stuff I didn't like about it, but there were things happening that I was just like, Ugh, over. But then when I walked away from the episode, I l- really loved it all on balance because this episode really like implanted in me the feelings of loss and frustration and just listlessness mm-hmm. that Don is now entering as a viewer. And I always love the show when it does that. Like when Don was just on his like quixotic journey to racine, Wisconsin, I was just like, Oh, I know me too. Oh yeah, God. Okay. Yep. Oh, we're like, still doing this. Yeah. Another fucking smoky drive, huh? <laughs> Into the darkness. <laughs> like, and it all, and I kind of walked away from the episode not appreciating all the good in the episode because mm-hmm. of it. Oh, sure. And then I said, like, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I think I was, like, standing there in the kitchen thinking about it and just sort of being annoyed about how the episode went and how that was costing me the appreciation of all the stuff I liked in the episode. And then I realized that, like, oh, that's kind of like Don's life. <laughs> like, just sort of, like on a listless journey, but not appreciating all this other stuff. That's actually really positive. So I kind of like, liked it. I think once I felt it through it that way, perfectly calibrated. (laughs) What do you mean? No, I mean the, the idea that that would be somehow an intentional. Right, right. No, I was just trying to find my (laughs) personal connection with that stuff. And like, absolutely. Yeah. In a positive way, try to bend around to enjoying the episode. Cause I thought it was a great episode. Sure. Um, mostly for the, um, it just had really high highs, but, just mm-hmm. everything yeah. with Joan, Peggy, and Roger. I mean, well, just okay. I was, I was just everything with Sterling Cooper making the transition to McCann. Basically, basically eighty percent of the episode. Well, this episode, uh, so one hundred percent, I guess. Actually, yeah. yeah. I mean, on, on that, this episode really just went further down the the uh, kind of pattern that's been established, or not pattern, but the sort of arc that's been established in the season so far, which is we get a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of shared very intimate, you know, two person scenes between the old timers, you know, like the, the old Sterling Cooper crew as like who are, who are relating to each other now that they are sort of veterans of the same thing instead of in the middle of the same thing as they are being in their professional lives and probably long-term in their personal lives as well, just completely splintered apart. You know, there were, there were a lot of scenes in this episode that really drove home how distributed they are going to be in this organization and how completely unrelated to, to one another's personal 
you know, like fortunes they are going to be. Um, like it's crazy that there are only two episodes left of this show because it really seems like these characters are going to be left in very, very different places. Well, the fact that there are two episodes left and that this is where we're at in the third to last episode is a harsh, harsh situation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Man, for sure. Just Joan, I think most of all, right. I mean, she, she, (laughs) what I, Oh man. I, I mean, as, as you know, we, we talked last week about my, my Joan boosterism. Um, and as, as much as I was happy to have, good things happen to Joan. Um, it was really, really effective. I thought how completely impossible her situation was presented to be because what is she supposed to do? And I mean, it's, it's a bummer and it's garbage. Um, but that sensation of just being trapped in something that is institutional in a way that you cannot personally overcome through all of the tools that we know Joan is able to use to overcome things. Like she is dealing with something that is just too bog like to, to maneuver her sort of of attempt to get out of it of just first exerting authority over that rep. Who's, who's her like, right? Like not her peer who's beneath her on the org chart. That fails. Then she goes to her supervisor. Right. She tries to do chain of command. And then she tells someone, oh, I asked the wrong person for help. And then goes to the CEO. And that's like the worst burn of all. Like, oh, man. Right. That, just watching that happen. That right. sort and of then like, she tries a direct power play. Like, she she, she goes yeah. down all the things. Right, yeah. It's the CEO. Of, then they fight the CEO. And it's right. like, okay. Oh, nope. Yeah, it's rough. And then to have Roger tell her point blank, like, just take, take half of what you're worth. Yep. Like, oof. It's rough. Um, but really effectively rough, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's really tragic, but really well portrayed. I thought mm-hmm. I, that scene with Roger and Joan was a high point for me. My mm-hmm. high point scenes were that one, obviously Oregon playing Roger and yeah. roller skating Peggy, uh, Peggy's entrance, Don and, um, and, uh, Betty, Don and I Betty was really great. love that scene. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, all the scenes with what Hobart, I liked as well. Mm-hmm. I liked seeing other dimensions of that guy. I was ready to see Ruthless Monster CEO, and it fucking delivered. I was very, very pleased about <laughs> right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, yeah, we but, kind uh, of, you kind of see. Um, so the yeah Hobart, you basically is sort of laid bare for what he is, both via Joan. And also via Don, right? Who he makes this big show of like, you are the star. I got you here. I, mean, I got he all these. I buy these companies for you. You know, like when he touches his chest. Well, yeah. Was was it wasn't Hobart Gosh. who asked Don like, have you said it yet? Yeah, yeah, right. Don, yeah, Don, yeah. And then Don, Don totally plays along. Like yeah. he's like, you I can think, tell that hurts him a little bit when he says it. It does, but he's ready to like make. I think Don is yeah. ready to swallow his pride and make a go of it. Um, and so Hobart <laughs> builds him up and builds him up, and then it's like anyway. You're one of like a dozen creative directors in this meeting, which is not even going to be run by a McCann creative director. It's going to be run by the fucking guy from the the, right. the client <laughs> and everybody opening their thing at the same time yeah. and taking their pencil, their yeah. pencil to paper yep. and just being like, "Fuck this noise." <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, what I was going to say about the uh, the Joan and Roger scene is it was uh, Roger. I love the way that character is portrayed. Because he clearly cares about her, but he has his 
worldview that is never going to change. Right. Because he wants out. Mm-hmm. He's like, take the money. It's mm-hmm. okay. I know that there's more going on for you well, that Roger, has like a yeah. moral implication, but like I am not capable of actually empathizing well, here's outside the, yeah. of my world. Roger is like, and it doesn't I think, make him a bad person. It just makes him. Well, it Roger. makes him, I think the most emblematic of why institutional inequality stays the way it is, which is that he is a basically well-meaning and like on balance, compassionate person, like not the most compassionate person, right. but like he's not evil. He's not malicious. Um, he understands the value of practicality, which is important. Like, it is good to be idealistic. It is not good to be so idealistic that you refuse to engage with any system such that you just make your entire life miserable. But he doesn't – but he's just on one side – or, or lives of others. But he is on one side of that that he can't just quite understand like when it's okay. Like he, does, he is so comfortable within that system overall that he's able to take his knocks when he doesn't get what he wants because – He's uh, he's allowed to like succeed or fail in the system on the merits mm-hmm. or just on the ways the dice fall. Right. But they're like basically fair dice. Um, and so because he's so comfortable in that world, he's incapable of understanding when he's actually just propping up something shitty. Right. Yeah, well, just the floor that Roger's capable of hitting is higher than the ceiling most characters can hit. Exactly. Yeah. One of my favorite sort of moments of the whole like multi-season of the whole series, I guess that that uh, portrays what you're describing about Roger is when they go to the commune to get his daughter. Yeah, yeah. and he can hang, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, honey, we're leaving. These fucking gross hippies are the are the worst. Like, get the fucking car. You know, because well, I mean? he can try that on if he wants. Right, like, right. And we know that he does because he lived. He shacked up with that. That other like woman who oh, and he like, was doing mushrooms or LSD right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like Roger's God, totally Roger doing Roger LSD was totally, one of my favorite moments of the series. <laughs> yeah, and and he he can he can try that on for months at a time. Mm-hmm. He can live in that for a while, right? Um, but he can like very easily just step right out of it and be like, anyway, get out of my apartment. Well, he, he has <laughs> yes, exactly. You're fine. He comes back to his status quo so reliably, right? Exactly. Of his like social mm-hmm. place, of his mm-hmm. like like situation as a rich man as an old money rich man he comes right back to there no matter how far away from it he springs exactly. which i find right. fascinating yes, yes and so well written and so mm-hmm. artfully well, he just managed together. to live the life of a rich kid basically his entire life just you know mm-hmm. yeah he which can crash the car all he wants it doesn't matter exactly right and and don is an interesting comparison to that because don has sort of created someone who is pretty close to that relative to most people i mean like the figure that don draper like the created figure of don draper now essentially lives in that world as well but like the human being um you know dick what's his name whitman like still you get the sense that roger even if he really wanted something would never construct a ruse of being a Miller fucking prize notifier guy, which he then falls back to oh, yeah, another no. ruse. Oh, my God. Like, uh, oh, my God. I'm just a collection agent. God. Well, like, Don, Don presents, scene. you're right, Don presents on a plane that is, like, feels like it has a trajectory to approach Rogers, and that they, like, they can live as peers in some ways, but the veneer is so thin. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever Don gets, takes a, a step too far out of line in any direction, it feels like he is like stepping out of the light that is that is that lifestyle and immediately has to like either falls into a crazy quagmire or has to aggressively right. rebolster it. Like he doesn't Except have the power that, that Roger has. It's true, although it's still like, you know, worth con- worth observing that he even 
when he slips, he is still buffered in a way that oh, you're right. that Joan is not. Oh, yeah. or, He's able to take know? a multi-day trip where he <laughs> pretends to be a Miller Prize awarder slash debt collector slash just <laughs> eventually revealed to be sort of like just a dude just creeping a, after cre- a lady. Just a creeper. Just, <laughs> just actually a creeper. So what did, uh, what did, you, like, what did this, you guys think about that entire arc in general? I thought there was more of it than I needed there to be. I mean, I was like, you know what I mean? I, right. I, it was, it felt a little bit indulgent at this point because i feel like it's all stuff i kind of knew of don before not to say that i didn't think there was any value in it at all but i don't know it yeah, felt like going it's back new, to, do you think it's, it felt like going back to the well a little that's what bit. I, that was gonna be my question do you think it's this going back to that same bullshit or do you feel like it's a new sort of weird depressing i was fu- i liked how it ended because he was so fully stymied you know like there was i I, one of the things that's happening to Don and I mean, that has always happened to Don to some extent, but is increasingly happening to Don as the show goes on. And definitely as it concludes is he really does run up against the barrier of his ability to just will things into existence, which is what, again, what he sort of did with his life is he willed this, this like creation of himself into existence. And he's now repeatedly just realizing like that is not actually a that is not a a practical way to live. <laughs> it doesn't life. work to say I'm a contest prize awarder. Right. I'm a yeah. debt collector. Yeah. I'm leaving. <laughs> like that's yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I What was what's the woman's name again? I can always keep Diana. Forgetting. Diana. Like, people hate Diana, I think. I don't hate Diana per se. I just I I feel like I, I don't know. I I just kind of got that same feeling as I got from this every time she she returned to the screen, which is like, okay, I get it. You know, like, mm-hmm. I I don't know. May- I don't know. It's so funny because I'm struggling with this because I, I'm trying to figure out if it's the point or not where I feel like I didn't get enough from Diana on screen to, like, go along. To justify with- the amount. Yeah. yeah. Like, to go along on this yes. journey. Yes. And then I so I go like, well, was it actually just like there should have been more screen time or was like or act- less the actress not like enigmatic enough? Like, well, well, or are they supposed to be driving home the point that like, I mean, is Dawn basically going after nothing or like a ch- just shitty sort of figment right. of or is that the point? Right. But like, right. if that is the point, I feel like it's not it's not pushed as hard as it could be like it feels like we're just accepting as an audience it's it's being accepted that we're just along with with it with don because he is and like i don't i don't feel i don't feel as aligned with him I as feel i feel like, like i should exactly i don't feel as like bought into the not even to like yeah don go get her that's what i'm talking about yeah, i'm no. talking about like oh yeah of course the don draper i know would drive you know what 1100 miles right. and like then i'm like are we actually supposed to be exasperated with him because when he got in the car and it showed him driving i was like i mean dan and i were like is he going to california is he going right. to like his where like where he grew up like where is he oh he's just going to that lady's well, house funny, come on said he was going to wisconsin yeah i was like he's going to miller like what? Like oh, his, no, like, I knew he was, there was I a, knew he was going. There was to see a Diana weird part of me for like half a second because I couldn't. I thought imagine, it was going to be a weird end around or something. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't imagine that he was driving to go see Diana or to but track yeah, like her that, down. I was like, 
Is he gonna go like? Oh, I knew exactly that's like. What, what is he doing? Oh, yeah, my my yeah, my brain was like. What me, is the I mean, play? What's the weird like, surprising yeah. thing? Oh, it's an anti surprise. He's just going to that lady's house, yeah. and then at least he got totally taken down yeah. by yeah. by her husband, which I then, thought was a great casting choice. Sorry, this is a weird thing, and this might be is that Clark might, Gregg is, the, is that it's the guy. That guy it's, it's that guy from the Avengers. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. I think I don't know. I'm ninety percent sure that that's who it is. You're gonna find out if you're wrong. I will. From the readers, I'm wrong about everything, so it's fine. We'll get um, to the reader mail and we'll talk about that. Um, what I thought <laughs> this might just actually say more about me as a judgmental person than it, it does about um, as a valid criticism or, or reading of the text. But I thought the casting of the husband was really good because the the wife is like classically like is very like classically beautiful in a like just hardworking housewife way, and then her husband shows up. And he's sort of young. It's kind of skinny and kind of dressed like a, like, he just doesn't have, like, I expected, like, like, a prototypical, like, Don style. Mm-hmm. Like, when Don, when Don used to be the man of the household when he was married to Betty. Right. But this kind of, like, young looking guy shows up. I was going to say kind of, like, dork. He just kind of had, like, a dorky, older haircut, you know, a middle, middle, like, Midwest haircut. And I thought all those casting choices were so perfect. Because the guy is just a strong-willed, pissed-off man, and he gets right in Don's face and shuts him down. And there's something about watching Don get shut down by this just dad. Mm, sure. It was just so good. Yeah. Where it's just like, your shit doesn't work here. Right. Yeah, that's You cool. know what I mean? Yeah. And had it been like, imagine the guy who plays Ferg right. was cast yeah, yeah, as that dad. That's... It would just be like, mono a mono dudes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But just, the guy doesn't use alpha male shit. Mm-hmm, totally. He was just... right. Oh, I loved it. I thought that was such mm-hmm. a smart casting choice, mm-hmm. which is actually, and I don't know if I believe what I'm about to say, but it's kind of my criticism of some of the Diana stuff because I just don't know if that was the best casting choice in the world because it was like, oh, or they didn't, gi- great or they didn't give her enough. They just didn't give her enough. Or something. I thought as far as as far yeah, I, I think we should move off Diana in Sorry. general because we're going so long yeah. on it. But like, I I liked that she that so many people who watch this clearly had the same reaction, which is like, wait. Has she been on this show before? Oh, that a was lot. great. Like, that, like, just that was, upon like, aesthetic yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, in terms of just sure. on-screen chops. Yeah. No, we're, like, we're all very ambivalent about Diana. Yeah. Um, we're all very ambivalent <laughs> about Diana. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot. Um, the What did you guys think about the... Uh, so there's a whole opening sequence where, you know, Don is like rushing to get into a crowded elevator. It really feels like a normal office building in the way that sterling cooper and its fall and it's like descendants never right have. so that that this episode is full of things like that clearly um and then don is like setting up this brand new life from scratch essentially at this off i mean not really he's still don draper but you know new apartment furniture new office furniture meredith is like pleased as punch to be doing all this for him i fucking love meredith i love stage. her too <laughs> also it turns out she's actually good at that which was a nice thing yeah for her. don's actually impressed by her acumen yeah. i liked i liked it like, i'm going to pay you right oh yeah oh i was also then, wrong it was not that guy sorry right. it's just a guy who looks exactly like that guy okay that's fine. Fair enough. um anyway i'm i'm just leading up to the thing i want to talk about which jake this this is for you the moment where don is in his office after all this there's a whistling wind and then he tests the window oh i know <laughs> is that just jake bait or what i i liked that he te- uh, him testing the window i it made me immediately Ask like, wait, did the windows in in Sterling Cooper open? Was that because it was that felt like it was just like 
you are sealed in here. Like the 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 mechanic. How do I offices, open this to jump out and fall? <laughs> how do I make the credit sequence start? Um, you know, the the mechanic Erickson offices, like from a production design standpoint, are just so good. Mm-hmm. Man, it's just like in you, that they're terrible. You are going to die in here. This yeah. is going to yep. turn into the eighties, and you are just going to die. Like this, yeah. this is where your career the narrowness goes. of the hallways. Yeah, all the hallways yeah. are small. Oh. It's like just like the how gross dark it is. Because like Sterling Cooper w- represents like the like weird carpet. What do you call that stuff that's on the walls that is just, like carpet? It's basically. just acoustic wall tiles. But it was shit. like stylish in the seventies. But like, those big square. But yeah. I feel like the McCann office is the version that was never stylish, and it's the one that like yeah. shows up everywhere. Like it's the stuff that is still on the walls yes, of like exactly. the manager's office of your auto mechanic. Like, right. whereas Sterling Cooper's stuff, it will age it badly and be gross. Ages, but yeah. like, but like, but somebody made a choice. They yeah. they were like the high style of the look that the the McCann office interior is just like. This was what you got. Like this was the. It's good enough and doesn't look bad, but we can dress five floors with it. Quick. Yeah, exactly right. Because yeah. McCann can just buy an agency, yeah. so yeah. they need to just be able to like just slam it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like I thought the use. I was going to talk to you about this actually in terms of the whistling window. The use of really subtle sound cues in this yeah. episode was so good. There was so much silence. Yep. When Peggy hears the organ, that was so good. Man, I was I like, that, that's that was the best. Most subtle and not subtle sound cue ever in the entire world because it was like that little like, huh, is someone here? And then you're like, Madman is making a hilarious music choice. Right. Right well, now. But also this was an episode in which Don literally heard and saw things that weren't there. Right. right. But then, yeah, but then that music just is tr- like Ooh. roiling like, and then just when it pans over, it's just Roger alone yep. in the office on an organ. Oh man. Just playing the Haunted Mansion in yeah. by himself. <laughs> So good. Yeah. But yeah. also when they are... Um, All the stuff that no one wants in the Sterling Cooper office is also fantastic. Roger's old organ, that octopus painting, the old uh, SCDP sign and the SCNP mm-hmm. sign. Oh, man. That was really good. Just yeah. like the dregs. And then just Roger and Peggy, the people the that I guess skates. no one really Here, wants right the, now. You know, they planted the, those... Ro- you know when she drops the mug and she's just like, fuck it. Yeah. yeah, the leaves that I love that. The roller skates were in that scene. Oh, man. Oh, good. Yeah, that. they were like in the, tucked into the corner on the left. And I was like, oh, it's really funny. Somebody left a pair of roller skates there. And then when she comes gliding by like an angel, I just couldn't. Like, it was amazing. It was such a good moment. So here's... here's there a, was a great moment of silence in that scene as well, by the way, when they weren't playing the organ, but you hear the elevator kick on or the air conditioning or something. Oh, just, oh it's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's an amazing little... So here's my, yeah. dumb, here's my dumb little like hypothesis about callbacks in the... The peg in that Peggy roller skating Roger organ scene. You guys can tell me if I'm reaching. I've, I've, I perceived two different references there. One of which is Peggy zooming around the uh, shooting stage for the ad seasons ago on the little Vespa or the little red scooter, whatever that was. She's just going around in a circle. Do you guys remember that? But you don't I, remember this? Peggy on the little scooter going around in a circle? It rings a weird bell, yeah. a long distance bell. Well, that was a thing. And then the other thing it reminded me of her circling around Roger with organ music playing just reminded me of a carousel. It remind like it, re- oh, right, it was right, right. shot in a very dreamlike way, this very just uh, sort of hazy kind of tone around the whole thing. She's going in a circle around him. You hear music that is like what you might hear at a carousel. And then it crossfades into Don's blinding headlights and Don with this music still yeah. playing over him in the middle of the night in his car. Like that was just that whole thing just felt to me 
like such a uh, recapitulation of, of those themes that have been explored through Don in the past. How did you feel about Burt Cooper showing up? I don't know. I don't know either. I really don't know. It didn't yeah. bother me. It, it didn't, didn't bother, bother me, me, but... I wonder if it bothers Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just going to say... What Did I, it bother us? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I thought... I guess the fact that I don't object to it means I'm glad it's there. Right? Because I don't know if I agree. I wouldn't... Okay, I wouldn't it's crazy. If Bert's face never showed up this season in any capacity, mm-hmm. it would have felt fine to great because he was sent off so perfectly at the midpoint of the season. Mm-hmm. So having him come back, I feel like the fourth wall look through to me of just, we, we had to get Burt back because it's the end of the show. Like that's what I felt more than anything when that scene started. I mean, both also me just going, Oh, I'm glad that Don just for some reason has the ghost right. of Burt Cooper in just his brain. Like, fine. what did he say? God, I don't even remember. Exactly remember. right. Yeah, there you go. Exactly right. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. I've been thinking about it all day. Like, what did Burt Cooper say to Don? And I can't remember. Yeah, no, that's fair. So that's... it's like, was it good? Oh, I don't know. The only I thing really I... don't know how I feel about I it remember, because of that. I remember Don asking him about a song or about something that Burt was like, you know, I don't know that. And I liked that. I liked the Don, <laughs> oh, yeah, like Don's projection of Burt where he's like, obviously you're familiar with this. And then Burt is like, you know that I'm not, but it's like, it's not Bert. Yeah, it's just no, Don's was, brain Bert. Yeah. But yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember uh, even what Man, happened in that scene. I don't know. Oh, we're Bert, so terrible. Bert like shits on him for going to Diana. He's like, where are you going? Maybe oh, yeah. going to see some waitress that doesn't care about you. Yeah. And when he said that, I still didn't know he was going to go see Diana. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, and I, when I said I thought maybe he was going to Miller, it was like. A second or two, yeah. and I was like, "Oh yeah." I yeah. just, I just didn't pay attention to the name of the destination. And then when Bert said that, I was like, Ugh, "Gross." Um, oh, and then they <laughs> they talk about um, Don tries to talk to Bert about on the road by Jack Kerouac. Oh, oh right. And Bert's like, "I didn't read that." Yeah, I don't that's, know what that that's is. what that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, that was a little over, a little much, I guess. Yeah, a little over the top, oh, a little heavy handed is what I mean to say. <laughs> yeah, Peggy's entire through line in this episode. Well, I mean, Jones. Jones was harrowing in a way that just continued the slide, but I, well, Jones was a bummer because it really felt like she was on the up and up and this was just up, hit a wall. I mean, just absolutely hit a wall because I don't, I don't think she was necessarily like guaranteed trending in that direction. And she even starts, she even starts, Joan, yeah. Unless you're, I'm sorry, you're talking about Peggy or Joan? I started, I was talking, I was about to talk about Peggy. I mean, well, we could talk about Joan for a minute. Oh, I, thought I, mean, been, I thought you then said Joan. Well, I, I was just, it was just jumping for half a second, but it's okay. I mean, with with Joan, this episode was basically the worst of what you could possibly expect right. from yeah. the, like, the portents of the last couple episodes, right? right? Where this is just like, the thing that Joan feared would happen exactly happened, and then exactly happened, like, two more times, and then it was just, that's the end. Mm-hmm. But with Peggy, I really liked the way that they played with all that stuff. I liked that Peggy sort of went from going, I'm not going along with this to like, I'm fully leaning into this McCann thing. This is going to be who I am. Right. And then, and then just the episode, the entire episode, basically just picking at her about the complete, about how she could potentially be nothing. It was, I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting because it shows that, I mean, I think this is what the show is trying to say or what it's illustrating. So correct me if you think I'm off base or out of line, but Peggy gets to play ball 
because of the way Peggy, like Peggy buys into the system. Like Peggy doesn't get sexually harassed. And when she does like, uh, it's just different. Well, you get the, you, you get know? the same, I got the same vibe from the two women who come to see Joan early on who are like, Oh, like we'd love to be on your, on your accounts. They like, and they specifically are like, you know, we have ladies night out. It's not a feminist night out or whatever they say. Right. Like, They're basically, you know, it's just a shit talk people. Right. Yeah. They're like, yeah, no enlightened, whatever. Like they, they right. clearly are just like, we just know how to live in this. We're doing what we do. You know, we're not right. trying to like rock the boat. We're because the, the sexism that they're experiencing in the workplace is like, is unspoken and systemic. Mm-hmm. Whereas the sexism that Joan will experience throughout her life as like this vivacious bombshell is overt as well as covert and systemic. Right. Well, also the systemic version of it is more, is also even thornier because she's in an ostensible position of authority. Right. So like, it's even more complicated for right. her than it is for, for, well, it's like her asset, which is just, cause like Dawn's like, whatever, like prototypical handsome man asset has never been taken away from him. It's always an asset and he gets yes, thrown in his face true. last yes. episode right. where right. now it's like, this is, the whole reason for Joan. Yeah, the whole reason she's here is because Ferg like wanted to get down, <laughs> you right. know? Yep. And Ferg's not putting the moves on all like like the one of those copywriters just look like the girl from Bob's burgers. <laughs> I was like, oh I was like, well, what's her face over there? You know, he's not putting the moves on them. He's not gonna he's not gonna like like Ferg doesn't seem like he's gonna walk into Peggy's office and close the door right. and be like, let's go on a business trip, honey. But he is going to say, get this done tomorrow, sweetheart. Right. Like, what do you got to yeah, date yeah, later? Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay. You know, which is going to not like, it's all awful. Yeah. But the way that they are punished inside of these systems is really fascinating to me. Yeah. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think like incredibly deft. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. Well, just terms, the, yeah. the way that Peggy was, the way that her situation happened. Yeah. It, it, it was just like, it just felt like no one cared that, about her existence, which is probably... Yeah, I mean, she got sent secretary flowers. Right. Yeah, she got sent secretary flowers, and then her stuff was assumed to be not intended to right. move because potentially she was just a secretary or whatever. Then it got shipped back to, to Sterling Cooper. Like, Peggy... Which is what I like, is like her, the sexism that is perpetrated against Peggy, um, unless you go back to the Pete Campbell thing, is like much harder to pin down. Right, you're like the secretary flowers is like sexist and, eh. but it's then like, like rote bureaucratic, right? And then like okay, her office not being ready is that because she's a woman or not? I don't think so. Well, but the, maybe so it is. The thing about that you know is, I, mean? I, I think that is it is simultaneously like probably uh, laced with unpleasant, you know, uh, dynamics of inequality is also potentially the thing that causes her to realize this is my chance. To have a fresh start. Like, she's not under but the yeah, microscope. Peggy, she's but, just, like, moving in there and being like, I'm just going to get here, do the, the like, th- just do the fuck out of my job. That is all correct. But the thing that, the thing that was interesting to me about the way that Peggy's stuff went down is that it just opened up the just infinite hole in front of her of just, like, why is this happening? Because Peggy had no knowledge. Like, there was that one woman who was like, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. But, like, given everything that's happening everywhere else inside of this episode... I feel like we as an audience had no way of knowing, like, is this actually a power play or is Peggy not coming along? Is someone right. else actually trying to dick her over? Like, well, the- is it just that she got lost in the system? Is it that, you know, and it, it, it's, it, it, it was something both benign and sort of like 
low level, just discriminatory and shitty, but it was like, that's the thing though, is I think like the portrayal of their, like, I just think it was Peggy's worst fear that she doesn't actually matter after all. And I think I I like having that. I love that all that stuff is going to be, is, is tied up in like this, like just layer of like social sexism. Yeah. Because like when, and who they are specifically as women. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's so weird as we three fucking well, dudes sitting around talking about this. But like yeah, when they overlook, when they overlook, job, when they overlook, um, well, speak for yourself. I'm t- <laughs> when they look overlook, um, uh, Joan in the partners meeting before, yeah. the moment they don't tell her her account, she knows, right? Why, right? Whereas Peggy gets overlooked for an office in this episode, and it's just sort of like, oh, they probably just. Right. They're busy. Well, that's the thing. Are they? Do they? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. You know we I mean? should. This is another thing we should wrap up because we. I think we've basically covered it. But like, but the. I think the the thing that we're that we're drilling down on here is that because she is a woman, Peggy will. She, it is impossible to know for sure. Was it just a genuine fuck up with absolutely nothing behind it, or was it something else? And a man could be certain that it's probably not discrimination. A woman cannot be. Yes. Yeah. And just. Yeah, the way that Peggy and Joan both had these sort of, like, just cavernous nightmare futures open up in front of them, but then because Peggy's was what it was, it was able to close up again and be taken advantage of, and because Joan's mm-hmm. was what it was, yep, it was, oh man, the, both those storylines were really tough to watch this week, though. Mm-hmm. I, uh, on just on the note of, of sort of class and, and gender and and adding race into it, I guess the, to connect back to something we were talking about with Roger earlier, surely giving her notice to Roger, I guess not giving notice, I guess just informing him it's her last day and him just like, not his just like denseness when it comes to like, it takes him so long to understand what she's getting at. And right. it, should, it feels like it should be so obvious. But of course, he's just like, oh, what do you mean? Oh, well, first of all, through the lens of him. Where exactly. It's just like, I need you. I, yeah, I know you're whatever. Yeah. The other girl you work with is an idiot. Please. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just like me, 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 me. Yeah. Right. And then, and then even when he gets past that, it's like, oh, who can I yell at? Like, what is the, you know, right. like, what, how do I just like bluster into making this fine? Right. And is it finally eventually like, oh, you, this is actually just like an intractable thing you see in front of you. And like, maybe it's not worth your life. Right. You know, <laughs> like, it's funny. Is there an, is thus far, no black people at all. McCann. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Despite like some of like you said, there was like, historically that was, right. A, well, I have industry, no idea. Yeah. yeah. This is, I feel like we, we can't assume anything about this based on the actual history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that was just, I thought an interesting, I thought tidbit. that was an interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. piece of information. Yeah. Yeah. Because actually, because of that piece of information, I don't want to get back onto the Joan stuff too much. But when those two women walked into the office, same here. I know, because yeah. of the history of it, I, I was know. like, "Oh man, is this when basically Joan Joan's arc is going to take a surprising weird turn?" And they're right. like, "Actually, welcome to the club of women VPs at McCann. Fuck all those guys. Anyway, let's do this." But right. instead, it was not that. It was well, they were just copywriters, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, but yeah. when they first walked into the room, I was like, "Oh, is that what this is actually going to mm-hmm. be?" The thing, but well, they were copywriters talking to somebody who was a former partner, now vice president, as if they're all peers. Yes, Just the idea, the concept of like, it's like yeah. no, if you're a woman. You don't have. All, we're yeah, sticking you together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly right. So then, yeah, so John going, oh, Peggy handles that account. They're like, oh, I thought so. I but because of that piece of information, exactly right. When they walked in, I was like, this is where they go. You're going to do amazing here. We came right. here to suck up to you because you're going to the top. Right. You know, yeah. and I was like, oh, good. Great. Yeah, She's like, going to be Hobart's right hand. This is the historically accurate Joan enters and then it's like Ocean's Eleven situation. Oh, no. Never. Oh, fucking opposite. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Life. Jesus. Yeah. God, Hobart. I um, love that character. 
I hate him, but I love the way that character is portrayed. That actor did a very good job of getting red in the face, like out of rage. Oh, gosh, yeah, talking to Joe, just like multi-million dollar CEO, oh, can be so touched and so emotional and mm-hmm. so sensitive, but yep. can flip and like that. Yeah, oh, so yep. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think the only character we have not yet discussed is Harry Crane. Oh, uh, who, see in the funny papers. Yeah, <laughs> who this is such classic Harry Crane. His ability to just sort of let the the water roll off his back in the face mainly of Roger is a constant source of enjoyment to me on this show because that's almost his only role now like that's almost All right. when he comes on the screen it's usually for something like that uh to be the weird per- to be the weird like opposite to to be affected oppositely by the situation as everyone else so whether he's losing out on the partners meeting or winning out by having this like staff full of computer people or whatever right. it was like he's it's always the opposite dynamic and he always wears it so well i feel like the the i mean like if they by got, well i mean like in a way that is extremely amusing to watch as a viewer do you right. think that they're setting that up at this point so that we're actually going to see the other shoe drop on harry crane because like he's been like his arc basically since he started becoming the computer and information guy has been the like I'm the big fish in the small pond of modern advertising. And now he's like every scene that he's had in the last couple episodes has been him as like the McCann booster as like the just corporate advertising, techno advertising booster. And everyone is getting dicked over. I suspect he's he's got to get flourish at McCann and that's how it's going to end. Yeah. I suspect that he's going to be like, I've been overlooked middle manager, like making more out of nothing my whole life and i love like he's gonna fit right into this yeah, bullshit I kind of bureaucracy hope, i hope that's where it goes because that feels like such the <laughs> it feels really appropriate given yeah. everyone else's arc um like there's a reason every harry, big, harry crane like, wins out like basically as a villain <laughs> i don't know but like we all work at like we work at a very small company yeah. that we are basically in charge of um and we've never really worked at a, a big i've worked at one big corporation but like they're just full of harry cranes they're just full of fucking Harry Cranes. The people who have been there making it work for that long, it's just all Harry Cranes. I just feel like Harry Crane <laughs> will not be satisfied at McCann either. I think that, I mean, it's okay, I guess. Once you're at McCann, you can still say all the same stuff that you say as Harry Crane. Like, well, we can obviously be about everything. You can just, he's just that guy. Demean everything and talk about how everyone's doing something better. But in a huge bureaucracy like that, I guess it doesn't matter. He just gets that voice just noise. disappears in the weird baffling exactly walls. Exactly right. Like, yeah. Harry Crane's made a career at just being dissatisfied. He's going to do fine at McCann. Yeah. Well, because he's a lot he he is very capable of taking pleasure in his dissatisfaction. He's not he's not miserable through his dissatisfaction. He is like So he can now package that up ple- as fuel yeah, inside he of is the sort McCann of like machine. Pleasantly yeah. superior, you know. Yeah. So yeah. he's a spite machine. Right. Do you guys um, want to do some yeah, let's reader do mail? Some reader mail. So the the reader mail we got a lot of, and you know, we apologize for this, was misrepresenting in multiple ways the relationship between Peggy and Pete uh, and their and their baby and um, Pete's awareness of it and, and so on. We got a lot of that wrong. So um, I'll just read one uh, email. Um, we got we got a, a bunch. So we apologize Thousands. to everyone. No, we got like a dozen. We got a four page email from Matthew Weiner. We got about as much email on this as we did anything else. Combined. Yeah, <laughs> so was, Haley Schultz okay. writes, I haven't finished listening. So maybe you corrected this later in the podcast. We didn't. And I'm sure you've received other messages about this. We, we did. did. Peggy most certainly did tell Pete about the baby. The last episode of season two, Pete told Peggy he made a mistake by choosing Trudy and that they, Pete and Peggy, belong together. 
They were on the couch in his office. She said very gently, no, we, do, we don't belong together. I had your baby and I gave it away. And, he, and he said, why would you tell me that? It was the saddest scene, the most human I've ever seen, Pete. My favorite scene of the entire series so far. Um, and then uh, Sarah Wells Petch writes, uh, hey, guys, Pete didn't rape Peggy. They had consensual sex twice in Peggy's apartment and in Pete's office on the couch. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, I was thinking about other forced sex that had happened inside of the office and completely just conflated a bunch of stuff. So I totally bombed that last week. I'm sorry right. about that. There's, but I mean, there is like, because of the, the power structure that they were occupying at the time, we all felt pretty gross when Peggy slept with Pete. I yeah. Do. Yeah. But it's, but it's good and to in, be, you know, reminded. 10 years later, I think you're like, well, or whatever, six years later, you're like, yeah but but i think it's a very obviously very important thing to point yeah out. and i i completely forgot that they talked about it in part because i mean that that scene like having it redescribed it now my brain just completely flashed back to like oh course, man yeah. that scene yep but i feel like the show and i'm not saying this to defend me for screwing it up last week because i did but i do feel like the show wants you to pointedly remember that that is a completely unspoken thing with the exception of the one time that right. it was said Right. It has not been brought up in a long time. Yeah, it's yes. been. Yes. And all the scenes with the two of them, it's very present, but unspoken. Yeah. And I, it just made me completely forget that it was talked about once. So I'm right. Ah, so sorry, here, I'm sorry. Here, here's an interesting, weird thing to bring up, Jake, that you and I were sort of mentioning before we recorded the podcast. Just on the topic of kind of gender roles and things like this is a very like weird sort of reflects poorly on us guys thing oh, going, going on here. Yeah. So we got a lot of email about this and I would estimate 90% of the email we got correcting us on this was from women, which is, uh, the, uh, the overall balance of email we get is more balanced than that. This, w there were a couple of guys who wrote in about it, but it was overwhelmingly women who wrote in to correct us about this. And Jake, you. Said, oh yeah. So on the, on the, I guess flip side or just another facet of this that, I only saw a couple pieces of anecdotal evidence about this. So there's not like sure. statistics to prove this versus the number of emails we got telling us that we were confused about this. But there was a, a, a couple people who specifically said, oh, my boyfriend also forgot about that, which is really weird and annoying. Or like right. this guy who I was watching it with forgot or a guy writing me like, oh, yeah, I totally didn't remember that happening either. So I guess that's not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that's a, that's that if you are a man, you may be more likely to forget that these Peggy important hold that story yeah. about her kid. Yikes! And the nature of their relationship, and the nature of their relationship. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, so that's obviously we're not speaking for all men here. I'm sure there are plenty of yeah, it's, <laughs> plenty of people who are better memories than than we did yeah, who are also uh, men. I'm sure, but but that was that was just kind of a, a weird, interesting yeah. anecdotal observation. But yeah, also just sorry for totally walking all over that last week because that we didn't do service to that at all mm -hmm. um all right so here, here's another unrelated email to that uh cormac murray writes hi guys thanks for an interesting and insightful podcast um apologies <laughs> except that one thing yeah apologies if this is off point but while at times i admire matthew weiner's refusal to adhere to soap opera tv formulas with his casual discarding of minor characters in a way that reflects real life it's hard sometimes not to get frustrated by it i'm thinking in particular of the lights likes of gainsburg paul kinsey and salvatore all the way back in season three uh, in keeping with the na narrative of the 70s, having a changing of the guard with Burt Cooper's death after the moon landings and many of the main characters coming to terms with their aging, do you think Weiner was making a statement with Gainsbourg's insanity? Is it Gainsbourg? Ginsburg. I think it's Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Yeah. 
that he was unfit for the dawn of the technology in the workplace was if that his creative genius and poetic approach to advertising was no longer relevant in the automated age with, with duller personalities like Harry Crane getting more influence in the company. Was it simply a result of feedback from press screenings that made him decide to explore him further or decide not to explore him further? I hope not. He seemed to be all set to follow in Don's footsteps with his humble background. He even came up with a strategy that won them Jaguar. It seemed like a waste of an intriguing character that we never got to explore as much as I'd like. I've yet to hear an interview where any of the writers shed any light on this, so I'd be interested to hear your opinion. Cormac from Dublin, Ireland. I have a theory, but it's like, just like, take away the grain of salt. This is me sitting around. Yeah. I think, something I do know is that in the writers, like, the writers have a long list of crazy fucking stories that, I said this last week, that they've just sort of collected from hearing from, like, old ad people about like stuff like guy gets run over with a lawnmower and loses his toes. Guy cuts his nipple off because he goes crazy. And I feel like they have all this stuff that they're sort of looking, they can use from time to time. And then I don't really, and then I kind of disagree. And Ginsburg was a sensational character, like big and filled up the screen when he was on it. But where would he have gone in terms of an arc that's worth exploring knowing where the show has gone right so it's like what's he gonna do at mccann he wouldn't have come to mccann well the, what's into i was thinking about this recently not in the context of, of ginsburg but just generally with the exception of ted shaw we've really whittled all the way back down to right. like just Stan's a sub, subset of the core yeah. crew yeah not even all the core crew but like all, again with the exception of ted who's already just like he also is very comfortably settling in you can tell to this life at mccann oh yeah ted's gonna do fine yeah so he's i feel like he's already just part of the furniture now um i'm sure he'll get a scene or whatever but like but the rest of the characters we're left with are these ones we've lived with for almost a decade on this show at this point and i just kind of feel like when you looked at the trajectory of the show is like okay well ginsburg has got to go it makes sense for him to go in this like how do we want him to go you know what? We got this cockamamie way. Let's yeah. do it. It all syncs up and works for his character. I think. Yeah. I think. A thing I don't think it's a grand statement, but I do think it all worked together. Yeah, I as think a good looking, exit. F- looking for uh, like huge, big and simple thematic meaning for Ginsburg isn't going to work the way that I think that it doesn't work for most characters in Mad Men, and I think that's because a lot of TV shows fail to do this. But this is this is weird because I want to talk about The Walking Dead for a second. Just The Walking Dead in general. I think a thing. A reason that, that, like, The Walking Dead, you know, zombie, crazy zombie serial story. Everyone Never knows The Walking it. Dead, whatever. Um, what, one of the reasons that I think The Walking Dead manages to stay fresh when it does its job well is very similar to Mad Men. And it's that The Walking Dead's cast is not additive. The Walking Dead's cast changes all the time. And, the, and it changes all the time to give its main characters new things, like new lenses to through which they can be reflected. Like, new prisms that they can be hit by mm-hmm. and experience different things. And Mad Men is all about doing that. It's not like, it's not even season to season or episode to episode. It's just kind of just mm-hmm. every, like the characters who aren't basically the ones that we're left with right now just have periods of time of different lengths that they exist in the show. And they're fully realized characters and they're interesting in their own right. But I think the real reason that they're there is so that Don, Peggy, Joan, mm-hmm. you know, Roger, whoever else, Don. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, sorry, you said Don. Yeah, yeah. Just have 
new and different things right. to collide off of and yeah. to change their trajectories, which is a kind of a crappy way of looking at other characters as just like, they're just there to make the main characters have something else but to I do. But I think that's incredible. Like, yeah. I can't think of, I mean, I'm sure we're, I'm instantly going to be corrected when I say this, but I can't think of another show that's quite like that in the, like the characters that we're left with are basically, were there in the first episode, like the five yeah, main I characters know, or whatever. Cause like, if you look at something like the West wing, which went about the same amount of, same amount of time, but mo- much, many more episodes, about a third more episodes, I think. Like, characters leave the show. Like, the main characters at the end of the series are different main characters. Like, other than Josh Lyman and, like, a, like um, Toby, like, in Alice and Janney. Like, everyone else is sort of gone, but not because they were gone in a way to, like, in a calculated way to focus in on the stories of these characters, but just because, like, people left the show and they added new, they needed to like get a bump in the rating. So they brought in Jimmy Smith's and things like this. You know what I mean? It feels the like, show just feels completely controlled with its entering and exit of characters. I think it's a product of its time, of its time right. as well, though. I mean, like in the post lost world, I think that's just how TV shows. I don't know. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is all about changing over everyone, including the main characters. They just though. stopped caring on the show. There was like, well, brand story is done. We're done with it. Like, okay. Is that not based? I don't know. Cause I've never seen it, but isn't that based on the source material? I don't, I'm yes just saying no. that based on nothing. I just assume. They mix it up. They mix but it up, yeah. It's, it doesn't feel as, like, chosen. Sure. Or, you know just, what I mean? As, like, everything is, like, I don't know. I find that really amazing. I th- I think, though, that people, when they, like, saying you're frustrated that Mad Men doesn't adhere to the soap opera, st- soap opera structure, I don't think Mad Men has anything in common with the soap opera structure at this point. Like, I've, I've kind of convinced myself that there's, that it is, like... It feels like it sometimes, especially because it's a period right, thing. It's a long and because form it has, drama. Yeah, long form drama. But right. soap opera structure is almost always additive. You bring in more characters, you bring in more story arcs, you bring in, and then you have to sort of unbearably carry the weight of all of them until a crazy calling event happens and it h- hacks it all away right. and starts over again. But Mad Men has never been structured like that from the beginning. And that it doesn't really use cliffhangers. Like, ever. Yeah, no. You know, like, when Don married Meg, Megan, what was a huge end of the season? Like, oh, my God, Don, you know? But you knew what was going to happen. It didn't be like, and now what? It wasn't sort of like, a soap opera? Don would have, like, gone to make the choice, and you wouldn't know who well, he married. It's, it's funny, and this is, you know? this is why I feel insane for comparing it to The Walking Dead, because they exist in completely different places. But Mad Men is all about... Things change not to ha- not to be a twist, but to be a new playing board for a new series of events. Like right. you said, where it's like Dawn ends up uh, marrying Megan, and you're like, "Wow, crazy!" But the reason that that happens is not because it in and of itself was thrilling. It's interesting because right. now you're like, "Oh, now I'm going to watch what Dawn's life is with Megan." Exactly right. Which is which is yeah, pretty yeah. great. Um, all right. So uh, last email. Um, Jane V writes, uh, thanks for a great cast. I like to listen a day or so after I've watched the episode and given time to my own introspection before hearing that of others. Um, something I noticed in last week's time in life was the subtle, though literal signposting assigned to Don's assistant Meredith while sitting at her desk and suspecting the seams of her office are starting to fray. There's a, uh, and suspecting the seams of the office are starting to fray. There's a framed Casio advertisement over her shoulder that declares the most accurate watch in the world. Later on, prior to confronting Don about the rumors, she walks past the kitchen where ads torn from magazines are posted to a wall. Integrity and no more apologies are amongst them. 
They're very tiny frames, just a few seconds at best, but the subtlety is one of the things I appreciate most about Mad Men and look forward to spying when I revisit the entire series in the future. Here's the beginning of the end, Jane. P.S. Stan Rizzo's hair is a thing of pure majesty. Yeah, I, 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 I like that email because it's a reminder of how much is packed into every frame of this show. I mean, this is a different yep. thing than what she's getting at, but Sean, you just mentioning that the, the roller skates were like prefigured in right, the, right, right. in the coffee scene. It's just a little, it's just level of continuity in the show is really good. Well, it's a show people who care a lot about what they're making, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I'm sure yeah. they think they fuck up all the time. Like they probably creative. do actually. Cause yeah. it's impossible not to, but, at like, all, but yeah, man, you can just tell there's, there's nothing phoned in right. about that yep, show. Exactly. Yes. So great. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Well, thank you for listening. Did you think it was weird that the version of Space Oddity that played at the end was not the album version? It was like a weird orchestral arrangement. Sorry. Is that true? Really? I remember I was sitting there listening to it. It sounded very familiar to me. But of course I was watching on AMC and so it interrupted after a few seconds with the stupid. No, it was like, it was like a weird, like wall of sound (sighs) version of the song. I sat there and listened. I watched all the way through the end of the credits. It was awesome. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It was Um, good. What a good Do you guys want to hear what's, what's next time on Mad Men? Yeah, sure. Do we do that? I oh, wait, just, no, wait, no, 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 no. Oh, you mean like literally the clips? Yeah. Look at me. You're talking to yourself. What are you doing here? I'm not going to back out of that. Stop brushing your hair. Go away. It's just like beat poetry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to the end of Mad Men. We will be back next week for the penultimate episode of Mad Men. Man, uh, after that, it's the ultimate Mad Men. That's true. That is the ultimate Mad Men in two weeks. Um, we can be found at endofmadmen.com. You can write us email, like the email, if you need to correct us about a thing that we got wrong again. I already said it wasn't Clark Gregg, by the way. So sorry, <laughs> man. You can, you can email us at madmen at idlethumbs.net. Uh, you can find that information again on our website at endofmadmen.com. If you like this, uh, why not recommend us to a friend or write us a review on iTunes here as we wrap up the final episodes of the yeah, season why not do that why not why would you not here's a list of reasons <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll be back next week thank you for listening 